0: download episodes of previous shows welcome to the podcast
1: It's JCPenney's Labor Day home sale, and the deals are hot. Get up to 50% off, select furniture, mattresses, and window, and refresh every room in the house. Plus, shop DoorBusters Friday to Monday while they last. Like $6.99 select Fieldcrest bath towels and a Black & Decker food processor or a George Foreman grill, for only $39.99 each. Or save an extra 25% with coupon across the store. Hurry and bring it all home for less. JCPenney. DoorBusters valid 9 to 96 and excluded from coupon. Offers and coupon valid through 9 6 Some exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details.
2: Strawberry Spring, based on a short story by Stephen
3: King.
1: Is someone there? No, 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 don't! Help!
4: There was a
5: murder on the campus. Hello? Henry, have you heard the news? Yeah, just now on the radio. There was a murder on campus. Spring-Heel Jack is back. Produced by Audio Up Media and iHeartRadio. Listen to Strawberry Spring on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies. Making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs.
3: COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel. But now, there are
4: vaccines and they are the very first step that let us get back to what we miss most. It's
5: okay to have questions. Is it safe? Should I wait? Now, get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when vaccines are available
3: to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
3: They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holliday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It's the top of the week. We're traveling around the world. Uh, we're going to China. We're going to Argentina. We're also going into the future in a very weird way that may directly affect you. You're not going to look at your forearms the same after you listen to today's show. Uh, let's let's maybe start by going over the Pacific uh, and with a little bit of background here Uh You know, we talk about video games in this show. Uh, Matt, Noel, uh, codenamed Doc, and I all have various games that we enjoy, and sometimes we've even played online together. Uh, But like a lot of people who are older, who are adults, you know, we always have that battle of, like, is this a waste of time? Is this good relaxation? At what point does it become an addiction? Because video games... You know, I, I think it's common knowledge now. They really can be addictive.
0: Oh, yes. They they are meant to do that, just like social media is meant to send you down a rabbit hole of always having to check your feeds. Before we jump into it, guys, really quickly, can I do one of these fast roll-offs of what's happening today or what happened over the past couple of days? Just It's going to go so fast. You're not even going to believe that. Oh, yeah. Means. I'm going
3: to bookend. I'm going to bookend with one of my own, though. I want to see if we got the same stuff.
0: Okay, well, I'll just... Hit it and then you can finish it if if you got something. Uh first, something we were reading about, we haven't covered it in full yet. The situation in Afghanistan. The story came out about the CIA clandestinely meeting with the Taliban. That's yeah. crazy and definitely something worth talking about. The US is also conducting strikes again, drone strikes in Afghanistan as they're, you know, pulling out and almost completely pulled out. And spoiler alert, there's a lot of collateral damage again. Um a category 4 hurricane just hit louisiana on the anniversary of hurricane katrina
3: and this is hurricane
0: ida this is hurricane ida that just happened in the day before we're recording this it's it's august 30th right now and uh the dprk is allegedly ramping up its production again of nuclear materials
3: well it's uh it's reignited its reactor yes which is slightly different but the big question with that uh you get the you hit me on the hobby horse I know. I know. The big issue with that, most analysts would say is that it indicates a move to go back to the negotiating table for further aid.
1: Hmm. And
3: that's just based on past patterns, which is what all these folks are trying to guess at. Uh, But for anybody who has seen that in the news, that doesn't mean that bombs are about to fall. That doesn't mean that ICBMs are going to be launched. Uh, I I do want to I don't know. I never thought I would be in this position. (sighs) But in defense of the CIA, with what you said about Afghanistan, uh, imagine they had to go forward and get, get in front of it. They had to announce that meeting happened because what if they didn't announce it and someone found out about it? That's even worse. So they're going to clearly not disclose the substance of the conversation but it's it's not unusual to be loved by anyone. It's not unusual <laughs> for for the CIA to meet with clandestine powers like that. That's how the company
0: operates. Agreed. I think it was the acting director of the CIA, though, That's who went yeah. in person, which feels yes. a little out of character for what they would choose to do from a
5: strategy perspective. But hey, who knows?
3: Who knows? Uh, the the ways of the company are mysterious, <laughs>
5: right? <laughs> <laughs> if if I may, I just wanted to add something to the uh, Afghanistan bit. Um, pretty big news a couple of days ago that there was an attack on the airport, you know, where people are trying to evacuate uh, by a group called ISIS K. And I was not familiar with ISIS K, um, and in looking into them, realized they are kind of like almost the even more conservative branch of ISIS. Uh, and they are all you know, obviously more conservative than the Taliban, but they're essentially, you know, rebelling against the Taliban. And it just like I, I'm surprised that I'd never heard of this group before. Ben, do you know anything about ISIS K that you might be able to clue listeners in? Because I think maybe a lot of folks are in the same boat as me. <clears throat>
3: ISIS, uh, ISIS is maybe understood as a confederation of aligned groups that share the same extremist beliefs. So that's why you'll see it sometimes referred to in the past as ISIL and sometimes as just IS the Islamic state. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is because these, these groups um, may have differing like on the ground day to day aims, but they agree on the main thing, which is the establishment of what's called a caliphate, a, a theocracy um and this yeah and they're they're not buddy buddy with the Taliban honestly uh for several different reasons the Taliban wants international legitimacy they want to be recognized as a state power ISIS wants a worldwide caliphate
5: right those are two very and, different things and ISIS K stands for Khorasan, the K in, in ISIS, uh, is this Islamic State Khorasan, which is a region um, that includes Afghanistan, Pakistan, and uh, its surrounding countries. And it's actually made up of militants who have defected from both the Afghan and Pakistani Taliban. So it's definitely like a more uh, extremist and you know conservative uh, militant group. So it's just interesting and something to follow, because I don't think they... I don't know that they would made a whole lot of news as being a separate entity with different aims from ISIS proper. Um, So it's something I wanted to mention. Well,
0: I guarantee you the company has been keeping tabs on them, and I would say that that's probably one of the major reasons that the U.S. met with the Taliban, Mm. because there is that push for legitimacy, as you said, Ben, and there is a threat, a real credible threat from this group ISIS-K, and, and those are the targets that
5: the drones were going after,
0: with, like, hence the drone strike. So.
5: Right, and one of them, well, I believe, was one of their vehicles that was just chock full of explosives, hence the collateral mm-hmm. damage. It's and also, like, yeah.
3: yeah, these attacks are continuing. It's, it's Monday, August yeah. 30th, as this segment is being recorded, and earlier today, uh, at least 10 civilians, including children, were killed by U.S. drone strikes.
0: Yes, correct. Correct. Uh, So that's what I was referring to terribly and coldly as the collateral damage that the U.S. continues to rack up uh, with the drones.
3: Important note, by the way, intelligence analysts predicted those airport attacks. And also, uh, I want to thank, while respecting anonymity, I want to thank some of our fellow conspiracy realists, uh, both domestic and abroad, currently serving and... uh, uh, retired who also reached out about this uh with with very valid concerns that it would not make the mainstream news luckily it is at this point but it was very curious to me to be receiving reports of stuff before like before it broke in the west because there's not there's not that much of a delay now right because yeah. the the news can travel so quickly but um in one bright spot, one much-needed bright spot, uh, we should pay uh, our respects and gratitude to Special Forces operators who went in under the cover of night and began rescuing the families of Afghan nationals who were interpreters, who were translators, or what would miscellaneously be referred to as fixers, enablers, helpers. Uh, they got them out of a very dangerous situation. I'd also like to go on record condemning Eric Prince. You guys got me started condemning Eric Prince. You know the name; you've heard him. I imagine um, Robert has a good behind the bastards about him. This guy, amid this chaos and this deluge of, of blood and terror and tragedy, this guy was started selling tickets out of out of Afghanistan for six thousand five hundred dollars
5: a pop. Jeez, talk about opportunistic scumbags!
0: Yeah, go back to our episodes on Blackwater and all the iterations of it to learn about that dude. XE, Academy,
3: Academia.
0: Yeah. Went back and forth on that. Uh, but yeah, let's jump into the, this other thing. I'm glad we talked about all those things. Just want to bring that up because I think a quick just hey, this is all happening simultaneously.
5: Oh, and um, a tiny, tiny quick addendum Only fans uh, not 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 doing porn anymore. <laughs> just leaving, they're, they're not doing not doing, they're not wait. not doing porn anymore. Yeah, they so, must have heard our story, uh, and uh, decided to pivot from their pivot. Um, so yeah, they are uh, they are staying the course, doing okay. what they're good at, which is uh, empowering porn uh, creators to. Put porn out there directly to the fans and only freedom, the fans,
0: freedom of speech. Excellent, excellent. Well, so let's video ju- games, though, so, right? So, yeah, let, let's jump to a story about uh, not reducing freedoms. Yeah, government clamping down on what you can do with your day if you're between zero and 18 years old and you live in China. You're a Chinese citizen. We're going to talk about all this and then we're going to wrap it up by. Just talking about what it would mean if it was happening here in the United States uh, to just give some context and, and a kind of some opinion on this. So reporting out of The Guardian, out of Reuters, out of Xinhua, I think is how you say it, the official news reporting services of China. I'm going to jump to The Guardian article. I particularly like how they cover it here. Article is titled. China cuts amount of time minors can spend playing video games. Under-18s will be allowed to play online games for one hour on Fridays and on weekends and on holidays. So one hour Friday, one hour Saturday, one hour Sunday, and you get an extra hour if you got a holiday. I'm just going to go through some of this and then we can discuss, guys. China has placed an order to online video gaming companies, those who provide the services, who actually have servers where you connect to them when you're playing, whether it's on a console, on your phone, on your computer, whatever, to reduce the services that they offer to customers. And the whole point of this, at least according to the government and to a kind of question and answer session that was put out through uh, Xinhua, it's calling video gaming... Or gaming in general and addiction. Youth video gaming, especially as an addiction. And this one hour, by the way, is between eight PM and nine PM. So this tiny little window that young people would be able
5: to play. Bro, that's that's not even enough time to level up once. Well
3: once <laughs> well, by design. I mean, I know we're gonna go into it, but it can also it also um combats the use of mining in games yes so where you have cafes full of people grinding and then selling items uh and it also there are a lot of people who play mmorpgs so you want to be able to play with your friends so it gets everybody into one spot where they can also be more easily observed
0: and surveilled that's one of the big things if you're you know if you've got tight controls over the ISPs like like China has as a as a governmental a group as an entity, they've got tight controls over the providers of the services. So being able to look at it in that one hour for three days, it would be helpful. But here's the thing: that's not the only time they're going to be looking at the gaming industry. They're going to be watching those ISPs the entire time to regulate and to to crack down on video gaming services. Again, the the people providing the servers to make sure they're not letting anybody else play and they're also trying to crack down on kids using adult accounts in order to access uh like this is a huge crackdown
5: what's the what's the uh cutoff age Matt, nah. 18 years old, 18 years old, you're legally no longer a minor. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. That wasn't sure if it was the same there or not. Um, that's fascinating. So, I mean, I asked you off, off air, if this is like an an issue of uh, maybe uh, seeming to erode the fabric of like Chinese, you know, uh, civilization and hierarchy. And perhaps there's such a problem with kids gaming so much and the things you're talking about, Ben, that maybe people aren't, uh, rising in the ranks like they should, or there's a sense, I mean, it has to be a bigger picture. I mean, not to be too callous about it, but I can't imagine it's all just, we just want our kids to be happy. It to me is more of a productivity thing.
0: It feels very much like that. Some of the language that you can read coming out of Xinhua really does play to that. Uh, The government authorities are asking the gaming companies to, I've got a quote here, quote, always prioritize the social good and actively respond to societal concerns. They're also saying that, that, again, these things are highly addictive and they use phrases like losing hours, like losing uh, the society is losing X hours to video gaming on a daily basis or, or, you know, however else you want to put it. And it's interesting to note that this is just a further step from previous restrictions they had placed on uh, on gaming and younger people. Uh, I believe it was one and a half hours per day. It wasn't specific days during the week. It was just one and a half hours that you were allowed per day to game.
3: And, and, and uh, I think it was like three hours on a holiday.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. A- any difference for the weekend? The weekend now is the only... No, not previously. Not in 2019. Now. <laughs> now it will be. Um, it's pretty crazy. They're going after companies like Tencent, uh, after essentially the Amazon of of other countries... Alibaba, they're going after all kinds of companies and third parties to, like, make this this action actually occur.
3: They also arrested
0: the top League of
3: Legends player once their identity was revealed very what? recently, I believe. Under yeah. what uh, charge? He was too good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no,
0: no. Uh, too much pwnage.
3: Well, what I heard is he pwned uh, Xi Jinping. Directly. Yeah.
5: Direct mm-hmm. pwnage. Can't do that. Can't no, do man. that. No, no. President Xi is not about getting pwned. Um, so how how do they propose to enforce this without like directly mandating that the gaming companies uh, put in stricter age r- restrictions or, like, or how do they monitor this? I mean, Ben, you make a good point about limiting the hours does streamline the monitoring, but short of just like, you know, uh, egregious uh, privacy <laughs> invasions. How are they going to go about this? Well, that's
0: already
3: exists. Yeah.
0: Some of those levers, the mechanisms already exist. The problem is proving that whoever is using the computer at, you know, 4 p.m. is actually, or let's say, probably like 6 p.m., let's say, once kids are, you know, out of school, how do you know if a kid is actually using the computer and not the adult and just signed in under an adult account and You know, unless you're using facial recognition technology through the phone or through, you know, whatever device is being used to play. And that's where a lot of the doubts come in from, you know, especially from the private companies that are making millions and millions of dollars off of video games and kids playing video games. Guys, there's not really enough time to fully, fully flesh this thing out as far as our opinions and what we think. We're going to have to take a break here in just a minute, but. First of all, I can't imagine what this would have been like if I was trying to play my Super Nintendo and, you know, the the president came down and told me I couldn't or whatever. Um, I would be devastated. But at the same time, I'm thinking about how much time I really do. I don't want to say waste, just how much time I invest in virtual worlds. And we've talked about that before on this show. All of us do it to one extent or another. And uh, I'm wondering if my life would be better if I was doing something else or if I would be lacking something because I didn't learn these stories and live through these characters. I
5: don't know.
3: Yeah, don't stigmatize. I mean, what's the difference between reading a book? Right? Well,
5: exactly. But, and also, like, I mean, shouldn't that be your choice to, to discipline yourself and make that change? Do you really need the long arm of government to, like, you know, slap you on the wrist when it's time to get off the PlayStation?
0: I was just saying maybe I do need a long arm to be, like, to smack me across the face a little bit and say, hey, let's write some more music and <laughs> turn, off, turn off well, the
5: video game. <laughs> that's that's fair. But to your point, Matt, I mean, if something like this did happen in the United States, people would absolutely lose their shit. Sure. I mean, it's just not, you know, I mean, we can't even get rid of guns or clamp down on gun laws when like people are literally murdering children in schools
3: or opium.
5: Right. Point that
3: out. Right. Uh, Yeah, this is really interesting. Maybe worth a full episode because these measures uh, seem draconian and a lot of the language, if you go, like, if you read Sinwa's English version, you're not going to get the exact same version that yeah. is propagated in the domestic audience. And first, yeah, the internet in China is locked down. There are people who are in the PRC who are listening to us right now through a VPN, right? Or through some other, some other way to circumvent, uh, whether it's surveillance or whether it's just plain old access. And this is because, um, I don't know if people know this. I think we talked about this in a previous episode. How tight is the surveillance in China? I don't know if this is still the case. But there used to be in internet cafes, <laughs> there used to be these little cartoon police officers that would pop up on screen every so often, just to let you know that they were keeping an eye on you for your safety. And weirdly enough, their eyes were blue, which always mystified one of my old oh, professors, a Chinese national.
5: That's interesting. Is do you think that's to other them in some? No, I don't understand. Like that's no weird. idea. What, what an odd choice. Hmm. Doom hmm. reference? I don't know but but the uh the the
3: issue here is that um the way it's being phrased is that they are not just going after a big industry but they're they're portraying video game manufacturers as predatory mm-hmm. uh over sixty percent of children under eighteen are playing some sort of game uh there are people who essentially live in internet cafes, which I think we'll get to if we do a full episode on this um the question is how do you combat that how do you incentivize people and what would you rather have them do
0: um uh, anything outside just get outside kids but don't go to Tiananmen right well just you can go to Tiananmen just you know don't think about
5: it <laughs> <laughs> I, I did I did want to say I mean you, you might know this more than more than me Matt um I don't really think of China as big in the game development industry as say Japan, is that accurate? I'm looking. I'm looking up video game developers in China, and I'm definitely seeing plenty, of course. But none, n- no, none of them are big names that I've heard of.
3: Well, they have a huge
5: domestic market. Well, know? sure, they have they- a market. I mean, in terms of like, is Capcom Chinese? Or is that Japanese? Japanese. Yeah, I think it's Japanese. Well, when you say domestic market, you mean like you know in terms of customers, but like. I don't really see nearly as much like game development. Like I wanna not... say
0: Tencent is one of the biggest ones. Maybe I'm wrong. Yes.
3: No, I think you're correct. Mm-hmm. Also the uh well, what I mean when I say domestic market is you don't necessarily need to sell a game internationally. You can you can do pretty well with just that, you know, potential over one point three billion people population.
5: Oh, totally. I'm just wondering if like I don't see this happening in Japan, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's such a big part. If they, they would be, like, demonizing one of their own, you know, very important exports and industries and something that's, like, cultural, whereas in China it doesn't seem to be as much a part of, like, the identity, you know, of the country. Not to say that Japan's only known for making video games, but obviously some of the biggest names in gaming in the universe are from Japan.
0: Yeah, uh, but ultimately it doesn't matter where the games are coming from. This is like you said, a huge number of people who do play video games in China, and it could affect the entire global market
5: uh if you know this kind of thing is oh no, that's a very good point. I'm just saying I think they would be less quick to do this if they would be shooting their own industry in the foot. The ramifications though are huge, you're right? It could have serious ripple effects in terms of and if it starts if they really start stigmatizing gaming. You know? Well,
3: there's also uh, there's also a proliferation of unnamed spokespeople. If you look at the official statements, because I was I first thought this was kind of a Onion or parody story when it broke, and it was it was earlier in August, I think. And uh, they really do have unnamed spokesfolk. Spokesfolk, there we go. They do have unnamed spokesfolk saying things like, "Teenagers are the future of our motherland." Right, protecting the physical and mental health of minors is related to the people's vital interest, it relates to the cultivation of the younger generation in the era of national rejuvenation. So this, and I'm not saying it's insincere, but I'm saying, does this remind you of any other online surveillance laws that came under the guise of, won't someone think of the children? Oh, is yeah. Like- Sesame credit, you mean? Oh, uh, not just Sesame credit, but uh, surveillance laws in the West, in yeah. Europe. Oh, and, Yeah. Uh,
0: so this was yeah. There was a story that broke in early August, and that's when Tencent and Newsies or, or I can't NetEase. A couple of these companies lost a ton of their shares, their stock. I think they their stocks fell around ten percent. And then there was a lot of discussion about it. That article ended up getting removed. Some of those shares went back up. Then in at today is when these all these articles came out. At least in the West, that's when I. When I first saw it from the Guardian and Reuters,
3: there's a New York Times piece on it that's really good
0: too. Oh, nice! I don't pay for that one, <laughs> but you can. Not uh... the
3: same as not reading it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can if you right now wherever you are if, in several places. You can probably get the Guardian or the Reuters article. The Xinhua one is news. cn, and the article came out today eight thirty. You you should be able to find it. I think that's it for now, guys. We can talk more about this later. Maybe we'll cover more of this in the future. But for now, we have to take a break. We'll be right back with more strange news.
1: The Department of Veterans Affairs is so innovative, it not only improves the lives of veterans, it transforms the lives of healthcare professionals who serve them with access to the latest technologies and remarkable benefits. Transform your future at vacareers.va.gov. Did you know there are thousands of active cults in
5: America today?
0: Political cults, sex cults, acting class cults... But do you ever
5: wonder, who are the individuals who get manipulated into them? I'm Liz Iacuzzi.
0: I'm Tyler Meesum. Was I in a Cult is a documentary podcast showcasing the raw, dynamic, and inspiring first-hand stories of individuals who got in... And most importantly, got
5: out of a cult.
0: The truth is, cults are never what they seem.
5: Because what you sign up for is not what you get.
0: This is what happens. God sends a she-bear.
5: They'll find a way to sedate you. Sometimes you would hear kids being beat for like, it seemed like hours. I remember people literally running out of the class, screaming. Go into the temple
4: and have roast beef with Jesus. So we then turned our calorie deficit
2: into something that meant more, because Keith likes his girls skinny.
0: Why
5: are people so obsessed with cults? Maybe because it could happen to anyone. And we should know. Because it happened to us. Listen to Was I in a Cult every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get your tickets now for the daytime stage at our iHeartRadio Music Festival, presented by Samsung Galaxy.
4: Saturday, September 18th, at Area 15, Las Vegas' new entertainment and events complex. A mind blowing
2: experience.
5: The hottest new stars from all genres of music perform live on the daytime stage.
0: Don't
4: miss The Babies, Olivia Rodrigo.
5: The Kid Leroy,
4: Sweetie, my best, All-Time Low, 24K Golden,
5: Russell Dickerson,
4: Youngblood, Gabby Berry, Tate McRae,
5: Conan Gray,
4: Addison Rae, and more. The biggest artists in music come together for one weekend in Las Vegas.
5: Get your tickets for our 2021 iHeartRadio Music Festival, including the daytime stage
0: at AXS.com. Presented by Samsung Galaxy. Samsung wants to remind you that on August 11th, there's only one question you should be asking yourself. Are you ready for this life? Something big is brewing. Find out more at Samsung.com slash reserve.
5: And we are back with another uh, strange news story. This one, um, we are moving uh, from China over to South America, specifically Argentina, where a very bougie gated development um, called Nord Delta is being absolutely overrun by uh, capybaras. Capybaras? I don't know. I, I think it's probably potato, potato capybara, capybara, Um, which if you're not familiar, they are the world's largest rodents. Um, They are massive. They almost have this like horse-like slash hippopotamus slash dog kind of look to them. Um, They are massive. They can uh, be up to uh 3 feet tall and they they are they walk on all fours so that's pretty tall for something that's on all fours and they can weigh as much as 175 pounds. um and they are apparently wreaking havoc on uh some of these you know fancy homes in this Nord Delta community um and the uh Nord Deltans or or you know whatever you want to call them the residents there are not too happy about it um, And there's more to the story. It's actually than meets the eye. That's really interesting. So Nord Delta is actually was built in an area of wetlands on the Luhan River Delta. That's right by Buenos Aires. And it's an area that has been under a lot of scrutiny in lots of areas in, in this part of the country. A, a, lot, a lot of scrutiny by uh, environmentalists who are saying, OK, we need to stop, you know, paving paradise and putting up parking lots, you know, or like. Fancy bougie uh, communities like this, um, and so that's exactly what this was. This is one of these areas that was being pushed to be protected by the government, but the government is, is in fact instead subsidizing this type of construction um, and you know paving over these uh, these areas. And so essentially, the capybaras or carpinchos, as they're known colloquially in that uh, region are essentially just kind of hanging around the area that they already were living in. Uh, I'm not sure if it's like a, how, how recent, I mean, I mean it may maybe just be a story that's kind of popped recently, but, um, not sure where they came from or if they were just kind of hanging around in the, in the, in the woods. And now they're just getting bold and coming in, you know, and chewing on people's lawns because this development has been around since I believe, uh, 2000 roughly, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it's an interesting story because they have become essentially like memified these, these these carpinchos, uh, and they've been turned into this kind of like symbol of class warfare in South America um, with these developers and, you know, like politicians kind of not looking out for the best interest of the environment, of the people that actually live there, maybe that are a little less fortunate and can't afford to live in a place like Nord Delta, um, so all these memes kind of have these little guys dressed up in kind of freedom fighter uniforms and like photoshopped onto like the bodies of like afghani, you know, um uh, militants and things like that. Um it's very very interesting. Like there's a few if you go to uh if you just type in Carpincho uh, Nordelta memes, uh you should be able to find a ton and they're all in, you know, kind of this argentinian dialect of spanish, but uh very much worth a look um but I don't know, like this is the kind of thing we see in the United States too, like even with like historic preservation and areas that are just kind of like Atlanta's really bad about it, um in terms of bulldozing history uh and building things on top of it that are much less important, you know you could argue to uh the identity of a place, and I think it's even more so the case with environmental stuff where you're actually killing an ecosystem and then getting pissed off that like the things that you displaced are like coming back and pooping on your lawn. Yeah, that's a big issue here is there a lot of pooping on lawns, a lot of eating of uh, shrubberies and, you know, topiaries and, you know, gardening and stuff. Um, But I don't know. What do you guys think? Are the Carpinchos just kind of coming back to claim what's theirs or are they like an infestation that needs to be dealt with?
3: Uh, capybara are not invasive they're native to uh, south america and they've got they've been around for a while they're they're super common you know the uh, their conservation status is of least concern right which puts them you know around what you would you would consider squirrels or another smaller rodent in your neck of the global woods Uh, this is there's there's a great guardian piece about this as well the question is really like, should they be driven out from this community? And, and it's already exacerbating, of course, uh, the ongoing conversation about wealth inequality in Argentina. And this is, this is like a flashpoint. This is the ability to put a face on something, an adorable face, mm-hmm. by the way, objectively speaking, uh, where, whereas other people, outsiders, might have been just bored we're a little bit sedated by a barrage of statistics and graphs and trends, uh, and you know GDP, etc. So I think it's I think it's convenient. Um, I I also think it's efficacious. I think it's a good thing to spread awareness. Uh, we should mention capybara are not violent creatures at all, and they're huge in Japan. I mean literally, but also they're very popular.
5: Yeah, there there, there were some complaints too from residents that the capybaras were biting their dogs. Um and, and there's this ecologist named Enrique Viale who kind of summed up what I was just saying a minute ago really very succinctly, he says, um, it's the other way around. Nor Delta invaded the ecosystem of the Carpinchos. Um, and this is a guy who's been campaigning for 10 years to pass laws to defend these wetlands. There are reasons, actually, functional reasons for preserving these wetlands, other than just like that they're like beautiful and have these kind of diverse environments. It actually can cause problems in... Other areas, Um, essentially, when you have these wetlands, they can actually act as like buffers uh, against wildfires because they're, you know, wet (laughs) and they keep wildfires from spreading. You mentioned that Guardian piece, Ben, which is fantastic by Uki uh, Goni reporting from Buenos Aires, uh, and he points out that there's been this huge amount of sprawl that's been happening in in this part of the country, in northern Argentina. These wetlands, specifically ones referred to as the Piranha wetlands, they go from the uh, northern tip of Argentina to the river plate, and then all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. Um, And there are things like there are these soy farmers that have also dispossessed a lot of this land, and then, you know, made it into these giant factory farms for, like, it's called soy mega-farming. Mono-agriculture, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it actually can cause Uh, an uptick in wildfires They can, without this buffer, you know, that literally acts as like a a safeguard, you know, between these fires and like areas around them. So when you start to get rid of these and these developers that are just kind of doing this stuff very quickly without thinking about the big picture, um, you can have some real problems. And, and who does that affect? It affects poorer neighborhoods that either end up getting flooded, you know, during weather events, you know, um, or, you know, their communities can get burned to be victims of these wildfires. So it's uh ultimately kind of a upstairs downstairs kind of situation,
6: mm. mm-hmm.
5: which I think is why the memes have taken such hold because you're right, man. It is putting a face, a very cute face uh, on a much larger problem that does not necessarily uh, involve the capybaras themselves, but it's just like a bigger, Uh, issue, a systemic issue that I think needs to be dealt with, but it doesn't necessarily look like it's going to be because it does appear there is also, you know, quite a bit of pocket lining going on in the government and their connection to developers. And, you know, it's not uncommon, especially in this part of the world and in this region of uh, South America. But um, do you guys see any potential for something positive coming out of this? Or is it just like a flash in the pan kind of meme, you know, party that will eventually die? I mean,
3: just speaking for myself, again, raising awareness of what's going on it's it's fascinating and it's predictable that people in people outside of the region, people outside of Argentina, will tend to be more aware and tend to care about something if the information comes to them in an easily digestible, largely visual form, like a meme. Will that result? in action? Will that result in uh, substantive conversations about how to, how to address wealth inequality in Argentina? I mean, that's, that's a tough call. I, I, I hope it happens. I think a capybara is a very good mascot for a cause. You know what I mean? Uh, the U.S. has some odd choices for their their uh, political mascots, right? It's still, a, what, a donkey and an elephant. Yeah. Right. Last I checked. Yeah. And uh, and so why not a capybara? That's what I'm saying. If you if you're listening, uh, this might be this might be a good thing to uh, have as a representative of a party, perhaps.
5: Matt, you've been quiet on this one. What do you
3: think?
0: I've been super quiet because I really like capybaras. I feel like I remember reading about them being eaten in some cultures because they were so because they were so prevalent they just existed everywhere and uh like many rodents they proliferate and then you can eat them because there's so many.
3: Yeah, they can also eat their own feces as a source of new nutrition or sorry, gut flora. That's a cool uh, superpower. It's a weird one it's it's a gift and a curse you know
0: heavy weighs the head Uh, Leaving leaving lunch for somebody else it's a good way to think about it
3: (laughs) i think their um their fur is also used but it's it's like any other animal it's not universally accepted as a a good source of nutrition Mm. not by not by everybody is is my understanding
0: at least got you that aside noel um I don't know. It's really what you guys are talking about. That's what sorry, that's why I've been quiet because I agree with a lot of the points that are being made here. If you can put a cute face to anything, to any cause or a face that's memorable or an image that's striking, much like just the stoic look of a capybara as it's looking out into
5: the distance. That's a good point. Um, you're going to get people to get on board. Yeah, with that thing. So, it reminds me of a story Ben and I did on ridiculous history once about this gorilla in Johannesburg that escaped from, or I'm sorry, a criminal was running away from cops and he fell into this uh, gorilla pit in the zoo and the gorilla like uh, you know, held him down until the cops got there and it was during apartheid so the gorilla, I can't remember the gorilla's name, but became this kind of, Max became this symbol of like, you know uh, rule of law, you know what I mean and kind of like almost became this like Batman-esque gorilla figure Um, this is obviously not just one capybara this is many of them uh, and there's so again these memes are great like there's one where it's like a bu- just showing how many they are how, how many there are and there's just like a bunch of capybara just kind of lazing around there's a so cute little fat boys um but th- it's saying like capybara is practicing social distancing <laughs> cuz they're like 6 feet away from each other roughly it's really cute but um yeah check it out especially if you uh read spanish and if you can't google translate was doing a pretty fine job on these Yeah, and i would recommend
0: The website Perfil, uh, I think that's how you say it, P-E-R-F-I-L.com, there's some pretty good reporting about the wetlands conservation efforts. You can check that Uh, out. Yeah,
3: Yeah. Uh, okay, so maybe let's do a little bit of positivity and some eye bleach. So positivity, Uh, (laughs) one thing that could come out of this is if if the Capybara population becomes livestock, if they're farmed, then that would ensure that the wetland habitats are protected. Is there an enterprising member of this community who's already well-to-do is like, I'll get some good PR and get in the Capybara business? Possibly, but the more wetlands you can save, the fewer wildfires you will have. Hmm. So I think that's I think that's an important aspect. Um, For eye bleach, if you want your person who enjoys kind of serene, peaceful things, then why not check out the multiple YouTube clips of Capybara in Japan? Uh, They're soaking in hot springs, and they look very much at peace. It it looks like a cartoon. It looks like it's from Studio Ghibli. You'll feel a little bit better about what's going on, about whatever's going on,
5: honestly. That's amazing. Um, I I completely agree, Ben. They are adorable images. Um, But uh, for now, uh, while y'all are checking those out, we're going to pop to a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with one more strange news.
0: I want to get back to being in my community group.
1: I want to continue having a soccer season. So I can throw parties again. (laughs) So I can go to her parties.
0: (laughs) It'd really be nice to dine in instead of getting delivery for a change.
1: So I can feel safe and protected for myself and my students.
0: We each have our own reason for why we're getting vaccinated against COVID-19. What will yours be? Visit
3: GetVaccineAnswers.org for information on the COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
0: There's a reason podcasts are popping up everywhere. Podcasts can make you money. And Spreaker is the easiest way to start a podcast. You could
4: literally record your first episode today. Spreaker has all the tools you need to record, edit, publish, and yeah, monetize your podcast all in one place. And it's free. So tell your story and make money while doing it. Start your podcast for free now at Spreaker.com slash make money. That's S dot slash make money from the iHeart Podcast Network.
0: Don't miss out on the top stories from the best insiders around the NFL. I'm your host, Rhett Lewis, and on the NFL Inside Report podcast, I'll go around the league so you can hear much more of the story. The NFL Inside Report podcast will offer thorough, in-depth analysis and storytelling with a multitude of exclusive NFL insiders getting unmatched access. NFL Inside Report will provide you with comprehensive coverage, including game recaps, The biggest news and in-depth reports that take you beyond the headlines multiple times per week, all on the NFL Inside Report podcast. Our exclusive NFL insiders will get the opportunity to share the full, extensive story so you can stop wondering what's really going on. You'll know what's happening behind the scenes in the NFL. Listen to NFL Inside Report on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: We have returned. Uh, Doc, Noel, Matt, I, I just sent a brief video of a capybara uh, taking a soak at a Tokyo zoo. And uh, maybe maybe that'll get us through the next really weird conversation we're about to have.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Ben. I'm going to have a tab open with capybara pictures now as we do this whole segment because I cannot take my eyes away from these adorable little dudes.
3: How did they happen? Do you ever see an animal and you just think, how, how did that happen? Most of us have a passing knowledge of evolution, right? For the for the first time ever, quite recently here in the United States, uh, the majority of people agreed with the concept of evolution. Did you hear about that? That was a recent poll.
5: No, that's great. People are on board with evolution mainly.
3: Yep. Yep. It, great. Uh, How long did that it,
5: take? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: I draw your attention to an article from just yesterday on Science Alert, which is a great website. Uh, more Americans are finally coming around to accepting the science of evolution.
5: I, I guess all those little uh, little edits they made in textbooks didn't keep, didn't stick. You know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, I think the first time it became a majority was in 2016 so more recent than a lot of people would maybe like to admit uh now we are in a situation where evolution as weird as it may seem you know you see a platypus that's the most famous example you see a giraffe and you're like wow that's a very specific flex right how did that happen and then you see things like a capybara and you're thinking Do they not have predators? Do they live in a Disney Pixar environment? That
5: neck to body ratio is way off. It's just, it shouldn't, shouldn't be. Yeah. Oh, for a giraffe? No, no. For a copy bear. I mean, it's like, it's like their head. It feels like it's, it would be hard for it to hold it up. It's so big and it has such little neck, you know? I mean, I don't know. It's just a very, very weird stumpy creature and I don't understand what it's for.
3: I feel weird saying it, and not to not to shame them, but they don't look like they can run. No, or I bet if they try, it's real cute though. I know, I know. It's like you you would want to sit there and go, "Ah, you can do it on your own." Oh Shucks, little buddy. Fast forward, third act of the Pixar. This capybara has just won the Animal Olympics. Exactly. <laughs> so. So the thing is, capybara aren't the only animals that have evolved. They're not the only animals that will evolve, right, on on this planet. No matter what happens with the current season of life on Earth, which is heavy on humans, human beings are evolving as well. If you are listening to this, I would like you to pay very close attention to your arm let's Mm. do let's do a little bit of a thought exercise folks listening along playing along at home so if you can close your eyes and just imagine feeling your arms in space if you want to hold them up so that your elbows are parallel with your shoulder right (sighs) kind of like you're making a a touchdown or pulling a widow's son then you (laughs) will you'll be able to if you have your eyes closed and really think about it You'll be able to feel the movement of your digits in your hands. You may be able to feel your pulse in your arms. I don't What's like it, this, what? Ben.
5: I don't like this. <laughs> well, okay,
0: okay. It, wait, no, wait. It, it trips me out, Ben, because I know where we're going with this, and there's a reason they call it gross anatomy. Yeah. Because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could feel everything that we're about to talk about, and it's like a, it's like we're doing a comedy, and I know the jokes that you're about to tell. Yeah. And, and yeah. instead of happy and laughter, I've got like tingly sensation and weird feelings in my arms as you're doing all of this. 100%. So this is the
3: thing. You may be feeling something different from uh, your friends, uh, maybe even from your family members. There's a little less of a probability of that. And uh, if you are an older person, then odds are you are definitely feeling something different mm-hmm. than a very young person. Because I buried the lead here a little bit. Human beings are evolving. The most recent proven thing is really weird. Uh, we're growing extra arteries in our forearms. Why? Eh, seems to be the answer, but it's something called the persistent median artery of the forearm. If you still have your arms up, I appreciate the commitment. You can put them down. That's <laughs> it. And, and but your arms will have a. Um, you have what's called an accessory artery in your ulnar artery, in your proximal forearm. And this is something that usually, like it happens while you are gestating, right? And it usually, typically regresses about eight weeks into gestation, but what people have found is that this is staying around now. It's supposed to be temporary, and it's not vanishing anymore. The University of Adelaide in Australia along with uh, some help from researchers at Flinders University, found that more and more and more and more adults have an extra channel, an extra artery. People have been studying this since the 1700s, and no one no one is sure why this is happening, but about 10% of people in the 1880s or so kept this artery, and now it's up to 30%, which is a clear trend, it's statistically significant, it means that humanity has been able to point to another thing that proves it's a work in progress overall which is which is bizarre because it be you know it be like um it would somehow make more sense if our eyes were just evolving to be bigger and then you know people could say oh the aliens that are visiting folks are humans from the future etc but what do you guys think about this what does this make you think of did this surprise you well i've always
5: thought that it was kind of silly to think that we would stop evolving. Like if we reached our, our final form, you know, like, I mean, it just seems that we, the timeline of our lives and our lifetime on this earth and even as a species is so tiny compared to like the whole of evolution that's led to this point. I just feel like it's inevitable that we will continue. Maybe we'll just see little snippets of it. Like you would in the long process that is evolution of another type of species over time you wouldn't clock it overnight you just see one little change that led to another little change that then became you know important enough to stick around you know i don't know that's just how I, what i've always
0: thought ben i'm feeling like the guy at a big party and it's the first time he's done mushrooms or something this makes me feel very trippy like anytime we we talk anatomy anytime we talk about what's inside of our meat bodies um and how they function it weirds me out and to think that somehow over time, the instructions that are inside all of us, just, just tiny, like make these tiny, tiny little changes. And, you know, we breed enough times with, uh, with someone that has, as humans, we breed enough times with enough of these changes, then they take hold. It is weird to think that this thing that may, may be what it may be better for, Dexterity in your hands, right? If you got a little more blood flow, something like that. Um, but it could also lead to terrible things, like uh, problems with your wrists, right, or your joints. If you yeah. if you got that. So, like, I'm trying to imagine what would be the what would be the reason that this thing would be successful as a mutation. You know?
3: Yeah, yeah. So this is, and I've tricked this a little bit because this is news for evolution. And news on an evolutionary scale is not quite news of the day. <laughs> but I've got some cool news of the day to make up okay, for it as okay. we close. Um, the same way, like, geological time is not really clock time. Yes, the Yellowstone caldera is about to blow. But about means does not mean Thursday. <laughs> so, uh, so here's the idea. The researchers, based on their work published in the Journal of Anatomy back in 2020 or so, uh, they imagine that having this persistent median artery could give you uh, more of a boost of blood supply, making your fingers possibly more dexterous, uh, giving you a little extra oomph in your forearms, while at the same time putting you at a higher risk of carpal tunnel syndrome. Mm. Oh.
0: So so
3: there's a cost-benefit, cost like you said, just like uh, some people who have evolved to be more resistant to malaria may also suffer from sickle cell anemia.
0: Jeez. Jeez. I really hope that I have
5: them just uh, for my, I don't know, drumming needs. <laughs> ben, did you, did you say there was a, number, a percentage of, of, of how often this is happening that's higher than it used to be or something like that, or how often yeah. this is making it out of the womb or out of the gestation period?
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. There was a 10% chance for adults to have this mutant artery, which you're just calling it for the clickbaity nature of it uh back in the 1880s and now it's about 30 percent, and seems to be rising so uh, if you're listening you have children right now then this is not a certitude but the odds are that they they're going to be more likely to have this remaining in adulthood Hmm.
5: but again i mean from the 1880s to the present day is only just like a blip on what we would look at, like, as an an evolutionary timeline. I mean, most, uh, you know, the evolution of certain species and and these mutations that end up sticking because of changes in the environment or whatever, I mean, those can take thousands of years. That's why we're we're not talking about a giraffe-like neck that we're all
0: developing. Uh, We're talking about a fairly tiny piece of uh, tissue, right? I mean, that's really what it is. And Uh, it's
3: not a new thing. It's just sticking around longer, like the ability mm-hmm. to digest uh, dairy into adulthood. That is that is largely a juvenile trait for many organisms. You know, um, at least the the milk drinking ones. I don't know why that sounded weird to say that, but <laughs> milk yes, drinkers, the milk drinkers. Ew. But, <laughs> but let me let me hit you with one more here. Another example. Oh, and by the way, for anyone who isn't aware of what we're talking about the ability to digest lactose dairy products into adulthood is a mutation. And we know it's a mutation because not every member of the human species has it. Uh, it's, it's weird, it's catching on. But then also blue eyes were a mutation probably from like one person in Estonia. What's their story about? I'm just gonna hit you all with this. Uh, the extra blood vessel you may have is not the only thing. You may be getting a new knee bone. A very old knee bone. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, check the, check the Zoom chat. There's a knee bone called the Fabella, and it used to be really rare in human beings, but as of 2019, it turned out that it is three times more common than it was just 100 years ago. So, Noel, you brought up an excellent point. Evolution happens slowly, right? At least in the way a human being would think of it on an individual scale. So why does this stuff seem to be increasing so, so very quickly? Uh, the first answer is probably we're paying more attention to it and we're noticing more things. You know, those studies back in the 1880s maybe weren't as comprehensive. Uh, so maybe maybe you had that extra blood vessel all along. I don't know what to do with this other than to be amazed. It's not really a conspiracy, except uh, whether you think there might be some people still today attempting to guide evolution in one way or another. Well,
5: this is probably just like stoner talk. Or yeah, like no, let's do it. Late, late night bar talk kind of stuff. But I've always wondered if like the the way our brains are used now differently than the way they were used because of things like, you know, smartphones and the internet and parts of our brains maybe were once devoted to like remembering people's phone numbers or you know certain things that we now have like assists with all of this technology that we don't need to anymore do you think that part of our brain gets like repurposed for other stuff that makes us smarter or is it a balancing act because we're also uh, dumbing ourselves down by just like you know reading tweets and like looking at internet clickbait trash all the time like I just wonder like if, if there's parts of our brains that are maybe just it just shifts, but is that a form of evolution that can actually be influenced by technology?
3: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. One good way to look at this would be through analogy. So what, what we're seeing now and what we're able to measure now would be uh, individual changes that may follow similar patterns. Like we know to the earlier story about video game addiction, that this video game environment can alter structural aspects of an individual's brain but the question of whether or not those changes are heritable or inheritable meaning like you know your kid would be way better at tetris than you because you put in the time or something like that that's that's not quite the same thing. To do that, we'd ha- to understand that, we'd have to understand a lot more about epigenetics, mm-hmm. which uh, simply is not there. What we do know is that experts largely agree if you go back 300,000 years ago in time and you ran into early Homo sapiens, you would see their brain size was already pretty much the same as your friends and fellows here in 2021. But... Uh, With that being said, here's the analogy that I think works. So let's say you, for some reason, you're born, you're normal, and you decide that you don't want to use your left arm, ever. You use everything else but your left arm. Increasingly, your left arm will atrophy. And let's say you meet someone and you get together, you fall in love, or don't, but you have a kid, is the point. That kid's not going to have an atrophied left arm because of your actions, that kid will overwhelmingly likely, without some intervening variable, they'll have the ability to use both arms. So what happens to your individual haunted house, because I believe human beings are just ghosts haunting their own houses, like what, whatever happens to your house is not going to affect the next house in that way. And we still have a lot to learn about it. And maybe now we'll be able to learn a little bit faster because maybe we can all type a little bit faster. I don't know.
0: That's what is that? But I think yeah. you got into a nature versus nurture thing with that bit. A little bit. Yeah. Because if that kid grows up hanging out with the parent who never uses their left arm, maybe they start going, oh, I kind of want to be like my parent. Maybe I don't use my left
5: arm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Nature versus nurture.
5: Absolutely. But it's also like, you know, I mean, the idea of good genes are like, you know, your dad was a really great basketball player therefore you automatically are built to be a really great basketball player but that would only work i think if you put in the work and i think nurture has a lot to do with that too if you're you are aspiring to be this thing maybe you have some natural ability but was that developed from like you know generations that then like the somehow and that's what epigenetics is right it's the idea of like you know changes in the expression of genes i think without affecting like the the overall dna sequence but mm-hmm. it's the idea of heritable traits that could be things like you know ability related right yeah there, there's a lot of really
3: fascinating stuff on on epigenetics and it is important it is very important to understand this fully uh, it's Probably more than we have time to go into today, but we would love to hear your thoughts. Why do you think people seem to be evolving this quote-unquote extra artery? Do you get a weird knee bone? Tell us about it. Uh, wh- what's your position on evolution and what, if any, role is modern technology playing? People are definitely outsourcing functions of their brains increasingly to electronic devices uh, which which makes sense. It's approaching a cybernetic future. You know what I mean. The marriage of meat and machine. If you wanted to wax poetic, but that's a story for another day. We do hope you tune in to check it out. Uh, just to finish with our news roundup, uh, CBS has reported that UFOs are regularly spotted in restricted U.S. airspace. Cool. Nobody panic. Uh, the U.S. is getting removed from the European Union safe travel list. So check that twice before you get your vacation tickets. And Hurricane Ida has reversed the flow of the Mississippi River officially, which we we didn't mention earlier. That happened just about three hours ago before we went into recording. So our thoughts are with everybody uh, who is in the area
5: and make sure your loved ones are safe. It's really interesting. I think there must be a phenomenon that happens regularly with this kind of uh, category of hurricane because there is a documentary uh, around um, hurricane Katrina called put the river in reverse. So I think that must be a reference to that must be a thing that happens. I've never heard. I didn't ever think about that.
0: What isn't common is how quickly this thing ramped up. You can read stories about that right now, about how much more dangerous this This tropical storm slash group of thunderstorms became a hurricane, then ramped way up to a category four so fast.
3: And it was just five miles under being a cat five for a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, of course, uh, one more argument against people wearing masks. The famous or infamous televangelist Jim Baker has complained that God cannot hear your prayers if you are wearing a mask.
5: Oh, because it's too muffled. I guess so. Your prayers are too muffled. Well, I'm not an expert. I, I didn't know he had to actually hear with like ears. There's a lot of a lot of assumptions <laughs> being made here that mm-hmm. God has ears uh, and is listening. Presumably mm-hmm. with some sort of high powered listening device from so so far away. You'd think the mask wouldn't really be a concern.
3: Yeah, not high powered enough apparently. But uh, let us let us know uh, let us know your thoughts. On what we've shared today, we are going to have a full episode on video game addiction. Uh, It is worthwhile. It's important. It might hit close to home for us. Uh, We are also keeping a close eye on the developments, not just in Afghanistan, but around the world. Uh, We want to hear your thoughts on Capybara and Argentina. Uh, We want to hear your thoughts on the idea of humans evolving. And above all, uh, please be well, uh, stay safe. And don't hesitate to reach out to us with strange news of your own. We can't wait to hear you. And also, we did an episode on prosperity theology, right? Oh, yeah. we do
4: that?
5: Creflo yeah. Dollar, make you holler, uh, so they can finance his, uh, what is it, gold-plated jet? Jet. Ah, so clever. I Are drove gonna... by his church the other day. Really?
0: Is it still open? It was big. Is it still mega? That's all I know. It was very <laughs> mega. <laughs> Highly mega. Got it.
3: So let us know all this and more uh as we said uh, we look forward to hearing from you and we try to be easy to find not just online but on phones you know pull a candy man say our names in the dark in a mirror etc
5: yeah you can do that Uh, I wouldn't recommend that one that one gets real spooky Um, I'm excited to see the new Candyman by the way it's getting really good reviews and I revisited the old one Um, didn't think it held up super great but uh, still some spooky bits but very much a victim of uh, the 90s kind of schlocky you know acting and stuff but uh, the new one obviously we're all huge fans of Jordan Peele I think we're uh, probably all pretty excited to see it but um, short of Candymanning us uh, into being you can find us on the internet where we are conspiracy stuff on uh, YouTube Facebook and Twitter conspiracy stuff show on Instagram
0: that's right and we do have a phone number so just flip open your phone uh, and type in 1-833-STDWYTK and uh, leave yourself a really cool nickname tell us whatever you want to tell us you've got three minutes just just go wild with it and we love to laugh especially lately
5: or really just getting weird. And once you've time-traveled back from the 1990s with your flip phone, um, you can also send us a good old-fashioned email with your computer. We are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com.
0: Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: I'd like to taste a real Italian
5: coffee, please. What is the real Italian coffee?
0: This bristle.
5: You mean black coffee?
6: In a
2: capsule? Cappuccino. Cappuccino. Ah, the real Italian coffee.
5: Yes, Lavazza. Enjoy an authentic taste of Italy with every sip. From the rich and full-bodied flavor of Lavazza Classico to the finest varieties of Arabica beans of Lavazza Qualità Oro. Lavazza, more than Italian. Presenting
2: sponsor of the Italian Contemporary Film Festival.
6: Hey guys, this is Maddie and Kenzie Ziegler, and we have a podcast called Take 20. We want to kick back and hang out with you, but we know you're busy, so let's take 20 every week to talk, to vent, to get real. 20 minutes to catch up and talk about everything that's on our minds and yours. Listen with us for 20 minutes when you're in the car, putting on makeup, working out, cleaning your room, avoiding doing your homework. Take a break from whatever you have to do and hang out with us. Listen to Take 20 starting September 20th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: The rivalries, the injuries, the determination, and the climb to the greatest of all time. Join us for a new podcast, The Goat, Serena, and the unheard story of Serena Williams' quest for greatness. We'll take you from the tennis courts of Compton to the world's grand slams on this new season of The Goat. The Goat Serena is available now. Listen and follow on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update.
5: For mobility operators, city travel has gotten much easier with more transportation options. The evening commute has been transformed by on-demand ride hailing and sharing, e-bikes and scooters. With this growth in technology comes opportunity location services from here technologies can help optimize your operation real-time location data lets you deploy vehicles to where demand is a multimodal routing makes journey planning easier and safer for riders to find out more about how here technologies can help your business visit here.com mobility
2: Welcome to DTNS Experiment Week. All this week, DTNS is on summer vacation, but in its place is Experiment Week, where our producers and contributors are trying out new show ideas and releasing them right here on the DTNS feed. Enjoy.
1: everyone, and welcome to the first-ever edition of Gaming Checkpoint, here as part of DTNS Experiment Week. I'm Jen Cutter, and you may have heard my voice before on various DTNS episodes, and also I work on Daily Tech Headlines, where you can get all of the top headlines and show notes at DailyTechHeadlines.com. I've been covering games and tech for almost 20 years now, and I'm going to quickly summarize the current console scene. Whether you're a lapsed gamer looking to dive back into this generation or are getting into console gaming for the first time, this episode will cover what Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony have to offer. Let me be upfront in saying that this episode will not be covering PC gaming, will not talk about every game streaming option available right now, and also not have any real VR or phone game coverage. This episode's going to be highly focused on the main three consoles. Let's get started. First up, some unavoidable facts of life right now. Apologies in advance if this roundup actually inspires you to look into buying a console this year, as similar to various PC components at the moment, supplies are very limited. In my area, unless I want to severely overpay to some scalpers, I can't get my hands on much. Even older PlayStation 4s and PS4 Pros are kind of rare around here. But let's think optimistically for a sec. Say you're lucky enough to score the console of your dreams this winter. Do you have the necessary physical space for it? I know that sounds like a weird question, so here are some size specs. The PlayStation 5, which sadly resembles a very ugly router, stands tall at over 15 inches, is slightly over 10 inches long, with a depth of 4 inches, and that's without counting the unit's base. The digital edition of the PS5 comes in a negligible smidge smaller. These systems can lie down, but keeping good airflow to the unit is very important. Microsoft also dropped an absolute unit this generation with the monolith-looking Series X. The Series X includes a disk drive, stands nearly 12 inches tall and about 6 inches wide and deep. It even weighs just shy of 10 pounds. The Xbox Series S, the all-digital edition, is about 60% smaller, standing almost 11 inches tall, 6 inches long, and a paltry 2.5 inches wide. Meanwhile, Nintendo Switch is the most space-saving option at 4 inches high, Nine and a half inches long and half an inch deep with the Joy-Cons attached. For playing on a TV, you'll require the dock that's approximately four inches high, seven inches long, and two inches deep. But the most important consideration with the Switch is ensuring you've got enough overhead room to dock and undock it safely, straight up and down, as to not risk scratching the touchscreen. I ended up redoing my entire entertainment shelf setup to give the Switch enough headspace for docking, but Nintendo still wins the smallest shelf space footprint award compared to the other two consoles. Since I'm already talking about Nintendo, here's what's up with the three versions of the Nintendo Switch. A standard Nintendo Switch sells for 299.99, dollars which comes with the Switch, 32 gigabytes of internal storage, expandable through microSD to 2 terabytes, two detachable Joy-Cons, Joy-Con wrist straps, a dock, charging cable, HDMI cable, and a Joy-Con grip, which the Joy-Cons can clip onto to form a more standard-looking controller. The Switch Lite unit sells for $199.99, has a slightly smaller screen at 5.5 inches, and the controllers are built into the unit, not detachable like a standard Joy-Con. And, this is the most serious major difference, the Switch Lite is only playable in handheld mode. The Lite cannot connect to any kind of dock or television, it is strictly handheld. And new this fall will be the OLED Nintendo Switch for $349.99 which comes with the same stuff as the regular Switch bundle, but features 64GB of built-in storage, and, of course, the new 7-inch OLED screen, an upgrade over the standard Switch's 6.2-inch LCD. Switches run a multi-touch-capable touchscreen at 1280 by 720 and supports between 3-9 to 9 hours of battery life, depending on the unit, game, and brightness. It will obviously die faster if you're outside playing in the sun, because you are going to have to crank that screen. The best way I can describe the Joy-Con controller is as a nice compromise between the Nintendo Wii's waggle controller and a more conventional one. When playing any kind of fitness or dance game, you'll need to detach each Joy-Con from the console, fit them into the wrist straps for safety, then you can start swinging them around properly. Or, you can choose to live dangerously by leaving the wrist straps in the box like I do and hope it all works out. I will trust each of you to run your own risk assessments here. When playing on the TV, you can use a Joy-Con in each hand, loose, or you can clip them into the included Joy-Con grip for a more regular controller feel. Though my hands are not exactly giant, I found the Joy-Con grip to put the halves too close together for me to enjoy extended gaming sessions comfortably. So I ended up buying the official Nintendo Switch Pro controller for $69.99. There are tons of licensed and third-party controllers available for the Switch, or even adapters for controllers you already own, but the official Nintendo Switch Pro Controller felt really comfortable in my hands at about the same size as an Xbox 360 controller. I also feel the D-pad is way better than the Joy-Con ones. The Pro Controller can be used wired or wirelessly, includes motion controls, rumble, has full Amiibo functionality, and most amazingly, it has an absolutely ridiculous battery life. While playing through all of Super Mario Odyssey, I charged it exactly once. I wish whole controllers had that kind of longevity, and I hope that battery will last for years to come. Now, if you've seen any negative Switch news in the past year or so, it likely involved the dreaded Joy-Con drift. All types of gamers were reporting the analog sticks on one or both Joy-Cons drifting badly, not long into their lifespan. While possible class-action suits remain ongoing, Nintendo set up a Joy-Con repair option free of charge for those based in the U.S. or Canada. If you have a Joy-Con that's drifting, you can try your own manual repair using YouTube guides or fill out Nintendo's form online and prep your Joy-Cons to be shipped back for repair. For one final thing related to Joy-Cons, I must stress that the Switch Lite controllers are not Joy-Cons and are not removable from the unit. Nintendo is careful to note that the Lite only supports games that run in handheld mode, eliminating games like the Just Dance titles, Fitness Boxing, and Ring Fit Adventure. I find even Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey are better with separate Joy-Cons or a Pro Controller, since there are some movements made easier and faster by shaking, which is not something I enjoy doing with a whole Switch. In the interest of full disclosure, you can get some non-handheld compatible games running on the light, but, and please picture that as a giant skywriting-sized butt. You'd also have to buy separate Joy-Cons and a charger for them since you can't attach them to the light to charge, and you'll need some way to prop up the light, distance to swing your arms for boxing or exercises, and superhero tier eyesight to see what the heck is going on on a 5.5 inch screen from said distance. It's generally worth the extra money for the peace of mind of being able to play a Switch in any configuration and to avoid this level of jankery just to have access to more games. Nintendo was previously the last console manufacturer to not have a paid online service. And, well, that's dead. The Nintendo Switch online service is $20 a year and required if you want to face off online in Splatoon or Mario Kart or even have friends visit your island in Animal Crossing. The service also includes access to NES Online and SNES Online, each offering some classics from Nintendo and third parties available on the Switch with new titles added on occasion. I actually really enjoyed these special editions of games on the service, because some of them, like Ninja Gaiden, will start you at the last boss with all of the weapons, or in Mario Kart for SNES, it'll set it to all the game modes already unlocked so you don't have to do the work to get up to 150cc. The NES and SNES Online also support save states and rewind, making poking around some of the really old school games more fun instead of just frustrating. And in that case, I am specifically looking at you, ancient floaty jump weird momentum NES Mario Brothers. Anyway, though the Nintendo Switch Online is cost-effective, even offering a family plan for $34.99 a year for those with up to eight consoles in the house, there are some odd online planning decisions here. When I visit friends in Animal Crossing, there's only text chat in the game. If I wanted to actually talk to them, I have to run the Nintendo Switch Online app on my phone and use that alongside the switch for voice. If nothing else, I do appreciate how the phone app also lets me type in Animal Crossing, which is way faster than me trying to controller type when playing on the TV, since you can't use a touchscreen while docked. While tons of kids have phones these days, it's still awkward to have voice chat not be available on the console directly. In my case, I find it worth the 20 bucks a year to have the 80-something NES and 50-something SNES titles right there, but I am one of those people who Nintendo is clearly targeting for getting my money for the same games over and over. Out Sony's way, they've been bragging about how the PS5 beat all their previous records, selling 10 million units in 249 days. I'd be happier for them if I could score one myself, but whatever. Sony is also warning people that supply issues could continue possibly into 2023, Whether that's a fact or them creating a bit of FOMO around it right now remains to be seen. Sony's base unit for the PlayStation 5 goes for $499 with a 4K Blu-ray drive. Or there's a digital edition, which knocks the price down to $399 and has no disk drive. Both units have an 825GB SSD built-in, with 667 of that usable for game storage around the OS. For reference, Destiny 2 is about 100 gigs. FIFA 21 is around 55, and Call of Duty Black Ops hogs a whole 225.3 gigabytes on the drive. The PlayStation 5 can be open to access a PCIe 4.0 M2 expansion slot. However, if you're looking to increase the storage space, you're going to have to check Sony's list of PS5-certified SSDs to ensure compatibility. Do not risk a wild guess here. In simpler compatibility news, Sony made the PlayStation 5 backwards compatible with over 90% of PS4 games, as well as the PlayStation VR set and peripherals like controllers, wheels, and fight sticks. A quick note for PSVR users, the PlayStation camera will function on the PS5, you'll just have to contact Sony for the dongle adapter, which will then be mailed out to you for free. Though older DualShock controllers can be synced up as normal on the PS5, they will only function for non-PS5 games. The current-gen games will warn you the controller is not supported as they require the Haptic DualSense in order to play. So, predictably, let's talk about the Fancy Pants new DualSense controller. It looks like a sleeker, futuristic version of the original DualShock, now with Haptics. And if, like me, you've heard the word Haptic tossed around and wondered what it's all about, I finally looked it up. Haptic is all about transmitting information through touch, like through Rumble and how even the DualSense triggers have force feedback. Various game devs have gone on, at length, discussing how using different weapons will really feel different with the DualSense. The game Astro's Playroom, which comes with every PS5, is ostensibly a platformer, but also basically a tech demo for all the things the controller can do, including tons of different examples of letting players experience various surfaces and even weather communicated through touch. Though not every game out right now takes advantage of what the controller is capable of, I think it'll bring out some neat future features as devs experiment more with it. Sadly, my last important note about the DualSense concerns... stick drift. Similar to Nintendo's Joy-Cons, there's many reports of drift kicking in pretty quickly, even without a lot of playtime on the controllers. So if you're picking up extras, you might want to consider a warranty just to simplify any exchange process. Though I do have a friend who got Sony to replace their drifty controllers, multiple times, after calling into the support line and going through their official process. Unfortunately, unlike Nintendo, this will involve literally calling them on the phone and waiting on hold for a while to go through it all. It's worth taking a sec to talk a little bit about the user interface for the PS5. I don't have any ridiculous expectations for a gaming OS, other than wanting it to mostly be out of my way. I didn't talk about the Switch UI at all, because it it does all of the things you want it to do. It's easy to find whatever settings you want, and really simple to get into a game. Conversely, the PS5 UI feels... unfinished. On my PlayStation 4, I've got everything sorted into folders, and not being able to do that on the current gen, at least not yet, may be a frustration for you as well. Oh, and another example of a weird UI decision can be seen when looking at the trophies, On the PS3 and PS4, and even on the extra-ancient PSP, trophies are a nice vertical list. Totally clear, easy to read, a solved problem. Which the PlayStation 5 UI unsolved by putting each trophy in a separate small box, spread out horizontally as though it were a Switch game list, truncating almost literally every trophy name and description. Just, why? Why do that? It makes reading a chore. A fix for this particular issue is in the works and will hopefully be released soon, as well as other UI improvements. As for Sony's online options, if you're already familiar with how PlayStation Plus works on the PS4, it's basically that. You won't have to pay for playing free-to-play games online like Warframe or Fortnite. You will have to spend $60 a year for Plus to play with your friends online in other games like Call of Duty and such. Having a PlayStation Plus membership gives you a couple of free games every month for PS4 and 5, which you will have access to as long as your membership is active. Once you let it expire, you will no longer be able to play games you downloaded through PlayStation Plus unless you purchase them separately. Also separate is a subscription service called PlayStation Now, running 60 bucks a year, which started way back in 2014. There's a collection of PlayStation 2, 3, and 4 games, updated monthly, which can be streamed to your PS4, PS5, or even your Windows PC. Games get rotated in and out of the catalogue, so be sure to check out their selection to see if there's enough there to pique your interest. Further, PlayStation Plus is not required for any of the multiplayer games on the PS Now service, as that fee includes both solo and multiplayer modes. PS5 Online Play supports voice chat, either in-game or in party mode with your friends. So, like, my friends who are playing NHL together can start a party that I can join even though I'm off running around in Final Fantasy XIV, as I do. It is handy to be able to chat with all of your friends through the console without having to bring over a laptop or whatever for Discord. Alright, that's all the system basics, but no one buys a console for the basics, you buy it for the games. If what you're after is the Miles Morales Spider-Man, the extra Yuffie chapter in the Final Fantasy VII remake, Ratchet & Clank or Gran Turismo, then you're going to need a PS5. If you're now thinking, huh, that's a pretty short list, I agree with you. Other than to horse around with Astro and the new controller, waiting for a solid list of games you want before investing in a console is always a safer and smarter call. As a brief interlude before the Xbox specifics, I'm going to rant about something I've been mad about for a while now. So, Microsoft. Microsoft. Microsoft sat there and watched when Nintendo fumbled releasing the Wii U following the galactically successful Wii. Then, years later, after much reflection, they unleashed upon the world the Xbox One with updated units called the Xbox One S and Xbox One X, and now there's the current generation with Xbox Series S and Xbox Series X. My takeaway here is that Microsoft hates me personally and possibly you too. As you are likely the tech person for your family and friends, I wish you godspeed this holiday season as you try to explain to them what's what so they don't buy themselves or their kids the wrong thing. All of my best, truly. The only good news out of this possible pile of confusion is that like Sony, Microsoft has enabled Xbox One games and accessories to be forward compatible with this new generation. With that out of the way, there are two new Xbox units available though there are bigger differences between these than the two PlayStations. The Series S is digital only, while the Series X has all of the bells and whistles. The Series S is 60% smaller, sporting a matte white unit and controller for a far cheaper $299, versus the all-black monolith Series X for $499. The Series S has the same CPU as a Series X, but a slower GPU. It comes with 512GB SSD, and runs games at 1440p at 60fps and supports 4K upscaling. The Series X has the faster GPU, 1 whole terabyte of storage, and supports running games up to 8K at 120 frames per second. The current-gen Xbox controller hasn't changed much from the previous ones, which is good because the Elite is a great piece of hardware. The most notable difference is a concave D-pad and the addition of a share button for game recording similar to the one PlayStation controllers have had since last gen, but nice to have here too. There's no VR currently available, and don't be holding your breath for that to change anytime soon, either. Thankfully, the Xbox UI isn't reinventing any wheels here. The new feature I like the most is the Quick Resume. You're able to suspend and resume more than one game at a time, and even after a reboot, getting you back where you left off in approximately a minute though I don't see myself stopping between a Forza race to jump into Destiny or Rocket League or whatever, knowing I have the option is kind of nice. Now, personally, I found Sony and Microsoft currently have less exclusives that I'm interested in compared to Nintendo, though Microsoft buying Bethesda earlier this year should lead to some more specific Xbox stuff in the future. At least they're on record about any previously planned games for PS5 continuing to launch as promised. If you're counting at home, Xbox has 23 game studios, while Sony's got their 13 for PlayStation. Quantity doesn't matter over quality, so gonna have to wait and see how this all shakes out, especially once devs get more comfortable working with the unique architecture of each. Mature games almost always look and play better than launch titles, and we're still really early in this generation, so I'm stoked to see how it's going to keep growing. Even if you're not buying a console anytime soon, it's worth keeping an eye on game trailers to see how things are looking, and plenty of these titles are making their way to PC one way or another. When it comes to online for Microsoft, they've kind of got a lot going on. If you want to play online with your friends, you'll need Xbox Gold for $59.99 a year. Xbox Gold includes games with gold, offering a selection of Xbox One and even Xbox 360 titles each month. The 360 titles are free to keep, the Xbox One titles require an active gold subscription to be used. Then there's Xbox Games Pass, a totally different thing. Subscribing to Game Pass gives you access to a library of rotating games, day one access to Xbox Game Studio titles, and random discounts and deals. There are three tiers of Game Pass, a console-only one for $9.99 a month, a PC-only version for $9.99 a month, which also gives you access to EA Play, the EA PC games library, And then there's Game Pass Ultimate for $14.99 a month, which has the ever-increasing game library, the Xbox Game Studio titles on release day, the ability to game from the cloud, access to EA Play, works on both console and PC, and includes Xbox Gold and all the perks contained wherein. It's a lot. The only real downside is the monthly fee, as they don't have a yearly subscription option like Sony or Nintendo, which is usually slightly cheaper. I hope this covers enough of the basics to help you decide if you're interested in any of the big three console options. And I really hope you've been enjoying DTNS Experiment Week. If you have any gaming questions, console or otherwise, feel free to ping me on Twitter or Instagram. Both are at Gen Cutter, that's Jen with two Ns, or you can email me over at jen at gencutter.com. Have fun and happy gaming!
2: Hey, folks, Tom Merritt here again. That's it for Experiment Week. Thanks to all the contributors who made these great shows. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you think. Email us, feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're back to regular shows on Monday. See you then with Rob Dunlap. this
0: episode, please leave us a review on iTunes.
4: Cool. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Week on Planet Internet. I'm joined by one of our superstar devs, Jefferson. Hey, Jefferson. Hey. Hey. And also with our regular podcast host, Amy.
6: Hello. What up?
2: Afternoon podcast.
4: Today, if maybe our backgrounds gave it away, we're going to be talking about metaverses. Uh, a little bit about gaming metaverses, but metaverses in general. And... Uh, Part of the reason why is because on Hackernoon right now, we have a gaming metaverse writing contest going on in partnership with The Sandbox. So basically anybody can log on to Hackernoon in the next three months and publish an article about metaverses, NFTs, game development, and you can be entered to win up to $2,000. So please definitely do that. And speaking of our partnership with The Sandbox, the first article today is about the sandbox metaverse. And I chose this one because it was like, it's pretty well summarizes how people can make money specifically on the sandbox metaverse. But in the future, I think all metaverses that monetize are going to follow the same structure anyways. So it explains in general how the metaverse can be monetized, much like how the internet was monetized. So this one is called Why Owning Land on the Sandbox Could Make You Rich, written by Raven Hart and uh, it basically just talks about how the sandbox works how their virtual land sales work what you can do with the virtual land and how you can make money with that virtual land and uh, yeah it's quite interesting and if you're up to date on how metaverses work and if you're up to date with the sandbox it's not a surprise but i think it might have been a surprise to you amy you're not that familiar with the sandbox what did you think when you read this article
6: Yes, so I've only just started learning about the sandbox and metaverses in terms of real estate that you can purchase, which is like what the sandbox is based off of. And I thought this article is super interesting because something that I didn't realize is that the sandbox, when you purchase said piece of virtual land in the future you will be able to rent that out to different people like a real property and so I thought that was really interesting and I think the premise is interesting in the sense that if you buy these properties you're essentially saying that you're gonna make some kind of showcase in there or like something probably to sell people something right like it's gonna be some kind of like company website or something probably so I think that a lot of people or a lot of companies will probably rent out these spaces to do you know, art galleries and there are games or some kind of interactive experience and could pay a pretty totally. penny for them. So really interesting.
4: Yeah, like uh, to summarize the few of the ways that the writer talked about making money on the sandbox is uh, as Amy said, renting out land to other people to use. You could host giveaways and contests on your land. And uh, one of the big ones is selling ad space, much like how the internet found monetization in the form of ads and how Facebook and social media found monetization in the form of ads, the metaverse will follow suit. So that's one of the biggest ones. And aside from that, People can sell the land if you wanted to, much like real estate. So if you were to purchase land on the sandbox or any metaverse, and if that metaverse becomes really popular, like how Fortnite or Roblox became really popular, then the the more people that are going into that metaverse, the more that land is worth. And you can sell it for future profits, hopefully. What about uh, you, Jefferson? Sorry.
6: Jefferson, do you think that people are buying this or do you think companies are buying?
2: I think both. Companies like for promoting themse- themselves or yeah, creating some, some, some experiences so mm-hmm. they can return those people to their websites or to their products, but also people to create experiences, to share, trade stuff. So I believe that this is of an early stage, but I see like a big future on that and it's an interesting topic.
4: Yeah, as a developer, what interests you about the technology? How what what differentiates like developing for the metaverse versus developing for the regular
2: internet? The actually, the metaverse allows people to have freedom to create and to share. It's like a, a, a digital universe where people can do basically anything. So it opened up the scope of the development. You, you create a system where. Mm-hmm everyone can contribute it's not just up to you to put things there so yeah it's crazy and cool at the same time yeah for sure for sure and i think for people who
4: don't are like familiar with blockchain metaverses or nfts using the sandbox as like an intro to metaverse is maybe not the best so next i'd like to ask both of you what was your intro to metaverse culture like we don't mm-hmm. have to worry about the formal definition of metaverse what was the first like community online that felt different to you it wasn't the same as a normal game it wasn't the same as just a chat room what was your intro to like online communities like this
6: i love club penguin which i've just recently thought about which is why i made it my background which is like a very like deep cut early 2000s game where you could walk around as a penguin and chat with people but this was i feel like it, this was, like, in my MSN days. And I think that this was, like, the first instance where I was, like, where it was super interactive with other people that I played as an online game. This also, neo, like, I played Neopets a lot too, but, like, it, the interaction between people wasn't as prominent. Yeah, so I think Club Penguin might have been it for me.
4: Cool, cool. And how about you, Jefferson? What was your intro to these kind of communities?
2: I think it was Habo Hope. It was it's it it's it still alive today i i found my 2009 account there you could like work and talk to people see the rooms that they created you you could find a super crazy stuff which they built so you could trade uh, mobs and stuff it was pretty pretty crazy at the time i've never played this yeah,
4: my intro as well, Jefferson. We bonded about it because if you knew a oh. Hotel, you knew a Hotel. Nobody okay. was like ten percent in. They're like everyone was two hundred percent in.
6: Yeah. Um, okay. uh, did you ever play webkins I was definitely too old for that. Like I was too old to play it, but I did because <laughs> I had le- younger cousins and younger brothers. there's no, neopets? Not with a uh, Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. webkins So you would buy these stuffed animals, and the animals would come with a card, and the card would have a code in it, and then you would put the code into the game, and then you would have the animal in the game and in real life. And obviously, as, like, a dog-animal lover, I was, like, super into this. This was my life.
4: (laughs) And, like, how much would it cost for those sort of things? Do you remember? Oh, my gosh.
6: Okay. (laughs) Each animal used to be, like, $15. And I would spend like yeah. all of my money on this. And now exactly right. they will sell them. At, I've seen them at the dollar store, the literal dollar store for a dollar. <laughs> like what?
4: <laughs> so I asked that question because that form of monetization, like facing kids and like mm-hmm. how well it worked for you. it's It was so similar for Hubble Hotel. I think Jefferson, you mm. remember like owning furniture on Hubble Hotel gave you the ability to create rooms and create experiences. But the, the furniture was really expensive. Jefferson, did you ever buy furniture on a Hubble hotel? No,
2: never, never.
4: Yeah, we, you, there's a poor kids on a Hubble hotel. I think 50 credits back in the day would have been something like $20 or so. And with those 50 credits, you could maybe buy, I don't know, 10 chairs or something. Like it's not enough to build a room.
6: Oh, wow. Okay, wait. And also to go back to the sandbox and give some context, how much is a piece of land going for?
4: If you get it, it's like, uh, so the sandbox does drops of their land where you can buy it at like their normal going price. But to be honest, I've never been able to get in there. So I've never mm-hmm. experienced it. But if you mm-hmm. go on the reseller market, it's crazy. Like it's, yeah. uh, I like think the cheapest co- plots I found over- were like one Ethereum. So about like 4,000 USD was like the cheapest oh, okay. one I saw recently. Okay. Yeah. Still but crazy, not like but-
6: 500,000.
4: It depends on how big, I guess, if you bought mm-hmm. like an entire acre worth, it might be.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. But uh, so what about these metaphors is then caused you to want to buy, buy things in it? Because I remember in Habo Hotel, I wanted to, I wanted to be like the richest person there. I, I did all sorts of things. What differentiates these platforms like Habo Hotel or Club Penguin from a normal MSN messenger or a normal forum board? What did you get out of it that was different?
6: It's the gamification, isn't it? Like, these chat functions don't have gamification in it. Like, MSN didn't have that, other than a little ping or whatever it was. (laughs) But it's, like, gamification. Like, with Club Penguin, there were multiple different games that you would play within it, and then you'd have to get, like, coins or something, and there was an Mm -hmm. objective of the game of some sort, and you'd buy stuff with the money, and it was a whole thing. So, like, to keep going back, because... You've got money there, you got all your friends there. It's like <laughs> I don't know.
4: Cool. How about you, Jefferson? What what was the appeal?
2: Maybe I, I think the experience of it, like I was I I enjoyed exploring the rooms and all the experience that other people created, people that actually have cash because I haven't. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so I was like wandering around and exploring and I got jobs and stuff and they Paid me. Sometimes they didn't, but I was there anyway So yeah,
6: is this like Sims?
2: Yeah, you could you pretend that you have a life when you work, and yeah.
6: These metaverses, because the life in the metaverse is better than your real life.
4: I wouldn't say I don't know about you, Jefferson. I wouldn't say better, but I think it was more role play. There were tons of people who would like role play being a family on a hotel. Uh, I joined an <laughs> army, and I was like, I went from private in the army to like a corporal. It took me months to get there. <laughs> it was like,
2: yeah, I <laughs> was like a police officer, and I was like wandering around right. dressed like a police officer and pretending to be. It was and cool. Like,
4: what amazes me about Habo Hotel and how it proves that the metaverse works is all these people made was a place where you could sign in to these empty rooms and a marketplace for furniture. And the members are the one who created everything else. Habo Hotel didn't come in and think, oh, we're going to build this place and there's going to be casinos, there's going to be armies, there's going to be like furniture games. They didn't know any of that would happen. It was made by the creativity of the community. I -hmm. think uh, for me, that's like what separates a metaverse from a regular game or a regular platform.
6: So would you consider like uh, a DS game a metaverse?
4: Could you give an example of what DS game or like a, what okay, kind of DS so game?
6: When I was younger, I used to play Nintendo Dogs religiously. Of course, the only games I'm interested in had animals in them. And in Nintendo Dogs, you used to be able to take your dog to your friend's house and then you could walk your dogs together. Do you think that's a metaverse?
4: What do you think, Jefferson? Does it count? You're the developer.
2: Hmm. Yeah, maybe like a more limited version of it but can be i don't know would you create stuff there like in the universe or
6: <laughs> not really no actually that's not true you had a house and then you would decorate your house oh. but it was pretty limited in like customization though mm-hmm. and your dog would have its own collar or outfit and then you could have a different kind of leash for your dog
4: <laughs> yeah kind for, of for- can- i'm on jefferson's side here i think it's but the there's so many different definitions of metaverse but for me the differentiating factor is can you create your own experiences not just Uh, like your own avatar or decoration can you affect what's happening in the game or what's happening in the world okay but on that and one metaverse that did really well in that sense was fortnite which is what our next article is Uh, shameless plug. I did write this one, but not because I'm trying to toot my own horn, but it fits really well with this, with this topic. So this article in a nutshell was about how Fortnite went from just being a battle royale shooting game to a metaverse. And the long story short is it basically became the virtual playground that replaced the basketball court. It replaced the community center where kids were hanging out. And instead, this became where people hung out. And it's not just kids, parents, families. I used to play with an entire family, literally. The father, the mother, and the kid all played at the same time, and we played together. So it just showed the ability to bring people together and on Fortnite, you can customize your avatar and you can create your own experiences you can create your own games you can create your own maps but more importantly they took it a step further in the sense that they created in-game events where everybody around the world would experience at exactly the same time millions of people seeing the same concert at the same time or seeing the same uh new addition to the map at the same time so creating this sense of it's not just a game it's a place to experience things was something Fortnite did well in its peak. Unfortunately now it's died, but it proved how well metaverses work and how well they can be monetized, which is why we saw crossovers with Marvel, with Star Wars, all these big IPs looking to advertise their stuff on Fortnite. Did either of you play Fortnite, Jefferson or Amy, or played a game like it?
6: I've never played. Uh-
2: Nah, shame on me. Never played. Once I installed it, but then I uninstalled it before I open it. So, yeah. That's too I've bad. never That's had too bad. any
6: interest in Fortnite until Ariana Grande started partnering with Fortnite like a month ago. And now I'm like, oh, wait, I could be Ariana Grande? <laughs>
4: yeah, exactly. It's cool. <laughs> and like that just shows how well their marketing is and how well the metaverse works because everybody was trying to get advertised there like you just said Ariana Grande wanted to get advertised mm-hmm. on there seeing things like this do both of you do both of you buy into the idea that the metaverse is going to be the next form of the internet or do you still just think it's a bit
2: of a buzzword for myself i do think it's going to be the next big thing i think like games as a service like they always keep evolving and not like just release a new uh, game every two and three years but they keep evolving again and again and so I think companies will start to put ads inside so so, so they can monetize but yeah I think it, that's the way it's going.
6: I feel like COVID and quarantine has accelerated the adoption of metaverses in the sense that you can't go outside so I'm going to go into an online universe instead so yeah i think adoption has increased exponentially
4: do you have first-hand experience of that feeling did you turn to online communities during this time and did it work did you feel a similar sense of connection that you would in person
6: i in over quarantine i started playing among us with my friends which like i don't know if you would count it as a metaverse but i never we've never gamed before <laughs> like ever at all of any kind it was nice to just be able to uh like have an event every week that we could chat at the same time and do something. Yeah, I think like even I got into it.
4: <laughs> yeah. How about you, Jefferson? Does did was there online experiences that kind of replace the sense of a connection for you that we couldn't get during this pandemic?
2: Yeah, on the pandemic nothing changed much because I'm not a kind of a social person, but <laughs> 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 Yeah, but yeah, I enjoy like gda play because you can kind of you, you pretend to be someone else and you have work and stuff like that but things haven't changed much
6: <laughs> that's so hey, funny i was like yeah. when we went to court he was like i'm dying i need my socialization we need to have once a week among us nights we need to do all of these different things online because i can't see people in person <laughs>
4: No, I'm the same as you, Jefferson. For me, it's, oh, now I can play video games all day and nobody judges me? Like, it's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So speaking of metaverses, one of the companies that have been really talking about it recently and have been making headlines is Facebook, which is uh, what our next article is about. It's on Seeking Alpha and it's titled Facebook is the King of the Metaverse. Uh, in a nutshell, lots of this article was about stocks and like the stock markets aspect of Metaverse and how Facebook is using it, not just like for fun, they're actually doing it as one of their main like value ads and they're transitioning from just being social media to a Metaverse company. One of the uh, quotes from, I think he said it was one of Facebook's investors talks or something from Zuckerberg said that he, he wants the world to stop seeing us primarily as a social media company to seeing us as a metaverse company, which is a huge thing to say. It means they're planning to pivot completely into the metaverse. And it was basically about the author talking about how this might have affected Facebook stock and what the metaverse means. But I'm interested to see what you thought of this, Jefferson.
2: Yeah, Facebook almost reaching 2 billion users. If they do that transition, they will be like, the biggest metaverse around and they have like this whole community community stuff like they have communities you can talk to your friends you can post everything you you have the marketplace they got into that virtual reality goggles so it's kind of the way to go they have the player base they have the users there so it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be like a bad idea to head to the metaverse
4: i see i see so in general you're saying that basically facebook already has all the aspects of what it needs to create a metaverse it has videos it has groups that people can make on their own pages it has the usership so you're thinking that facebook has the ability to do it but do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it'll actually work out? I
2: do think, especially now on the pandemic, we do not know how things will go, if things will get better or not. And since almost everything is starting to get digitalized and all those universes are being created, I think that's the way that uh, Facebook should head. Interesting, interesting.
4: What about uh, you, Amy? Do you think Facebook will stick to its guns and make this pivot, and do you think it'll work out?
6: Yeah, I think it would be a smart move for them. What I thought was interesting from this article was how it talked about Instagram's piece in this as well, in the sense that if Facebook could really create a metaverse, I imagine that would increase incorporate Instagram, too, because it's part of their offering, but then it, part of this article talked about how they haven't really connected it too far yet because of legal reasons or something, or logistic, or, so I don't know, They there was a reason for why they didn't want to connect them yet, but I think imagining a metaverse as, like, Facebook and Instagram combined, that would be huge. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
4: And part of the puzzle we had not mentioned yet, Jefferson briefly mentioned was Facebook owned Oculus now, which is mm-hmm. like one of the biggest VR companies in the world. I think they have sold the most VR units so that they could be considered the top VR company. And I think that's the biggest change for the metaverse. Like one of the things that people talk about how it's not just the internet and why it's not just the internet, why it's the evolution of the internet. It's the idea that you're not just looking at The internet on a screen you actually go into it now so instead of searching for information on wikipedia in a metaverse maybe i would walk into the wikipedia building and i would find that book on the shelf um seeing that in my opinion like the vr aspect is the most interesting part of it have both of you or have either of you adopted vr have have, are you playing vr games are you interested in getting vr headsets or are you not there yet
6: i used to do I, i and oof I think it must have been probably 2015. I went to a few VR conferences in Vancouver that were super interesting, that had a bunch of different games and different use cases of VR, which were really interesting. And one of the things that I thought was really cool was that someone was building a fear simulator so that they would be able to overcome their fear of heights. So that was a fun. Yeah, lots of different aspects of VR that are really cool and could potentially become like metaverse. Like, although I can't imagine myself right now, like putting on a headset to walk around in a marketplace metaverse. I don't know, it seems too far fetched for the technology of the moment.
4: I want to come back to that, but Jefferson, what about you? Do you adopt the VR right now? Are you using it? Mm,
2: not yet. I'm updating my rig to buy an Oculus. Cool. So, yeah, but I do want like to get into horror games and stuff like that in VR might be super cool.
4: Yeah. On that note, though, you actually don't need an expensive rig. That's one. that was one of the biggest boundaries for people. You'd have to buy mm-hmm. a $2,000 computer than a $1,000 headset. Facebook prices the Oculus cheap enough that it's cheaper than the PlayStation 5. You don't need you don't even need a PC anymore. But if you want the best VR, you do need a PC.
6: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Oculus actually is not even that bad. Like, it's quite good. But I have tried on some VR sets that have made me, like, ill. So, I think... But this... To be fair, though, this was probably, like, six years ago. So, I imagine that the technology has improved quite a bit for the lower-end VR sets. But some of the, like, cheaper-end VR sets, I feel, are a little dizzying. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I want to test, like, those new games like half-life alex and stuff and yeah the rig will, will, will mm-hmm. i will need to upgrade it yeah. then you need it for sure mm-hmm.
4: and one uh, interesting thing about vr sickness i out of everybody i know in my life i get the most motion sick so mm-hmm. i was like oh is this gonna work for me and in the beginning it, it was really bad so i had to take the same pills I would take on airplanes to use it. But after a while, like I learned how you're not supposed to do that. You're actually just supposed to jump in head first and get your mind used to it. And just eventually, you ju- yeah, seriously. <laughs> like there are tutorials on the Internet about how if it's really bad, you play for 30 seconds, then you stop.
1: Then you wow. keep doing
4: that. And then eventually your mind disassociates what you're seeing on screen versus what's happening in real life. And you don't get sick anymore. It just takes Did some it work time. for you. Oh, yeah, I can go flying now and I'm fine. Okay. You no.
6: Know? Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Good to know.
4: And Amy, you talked about how you're not sure how this will work for a marketplace, but I think one of the biggest use cases is a marketplace because now instead of trying clothes on online, you could do that in VR. Yeah. If shopping for furniture, you could do that in VR. Do you see that stuff as panning out in the future?
6: I have seen that more in an application of AR, though. Are you Mm -hmm. familiar with, I believe it's called Rent the Runway? No. They are a fashion company, and one of their, I believe one of their storefronts in New York has this mirror that is, you try on the clothes in the mirror, and you don't have to, like, actually change, which is quite interesting. It's really cool. Yeah.
4: One important aspect of this, though, I'm sure everyone's Ready Player One is like the go-to pop culture thing people talk about when they want to have a quick idea of the members. That was like a dystopian idea of what the metaverse could be. But that that metaverse was called the Oasis. It was run by like the biggest tech company of the world at that time. It's looking like the biggest metaverse is going to be Facebook's, which is called Facebook Horizon. And it it seems pretty eerily similar. Oh, no. You either of you see any potential problems happening or do you think that's just fiction and you think there's enough government regulations in place where we'll be okay?
6: Nah, man. Like, this definitely goes back to the whole decentralization movement of everything, right? Like, the one big player is going to come in and make the biggest Mm -hmm. metaverse and then there's going to be no more sandbox and there's going to be no more everything else because Facebook's going to take over everything. Yeah. (laughs)
4: Jefferson, do you see a way where we, like, as a developer, could there be safeguards built? Could we build this in a decentralized way where a main player like Facebook wouldn't have complete control? If everyone's d- using the metaverse the same way they use the internet, isn't it incredibly dangerous that just one company would own the biggest pie of it?
2: I don't think so. I I really believe that probably government will step in the way, like they regulate those big companies to not take over the world and stuff (laughs) so yeah i i think it will not happen it will have space to like smaller metaverses but they will not be as they will not have the power that those big companies metaverses will have Mm -hmm. i think it will be around that
4: i think you're very optimistic i i don't agree that the government has regulated companies well
6: do they do that
2: i kind of avoid using those big tech stuff but i don't have facebook nor instagram installed and nor Mm. all those stuff i don't know i i prefer to waste my time playing video games instead of on social media (laughs) yeah
6: facebook Um, gaming still a thing
4: you mean like their twitch kind of
6: platform like remember farmville
4: I think it is. I think they still have games on there for sure.
6: Interesting. I have not played that since the early 2000s as well. Yeah, but Fondo they have was- all different kinds of apps, right? Like with games within Facebook. So maybe that's oh, how yeah. they will I- I transition think- to their metaverse. I think they-
2: yeah, I think they dropped that. I- I'm not quite oh, really. sure.
4: Yeah. I used to play poker on Facebook all the time.
6: I played Pet Society. Of course. It's a side. Okay. okay. It was like like Farmville, but pets.
2: Oh. Still here, everyone. It's a little bit harder to find that.
6: (laughs) The UI is a little outdated, but it's still there.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes.
4: To end off here, what's a game or a platform that you'd want to see become a metaverse right away? What's the most interesting or exciting metaverse you'd want to enter?
6: Let's bring back Neopets. Why Neopets? Animals.
4: (laughs) I'm in. I'm in for Neopets.
6: The Uh, money-free.
4: If it was actually on Nintendo Switch, like this, this fake, uh, that would be amazing. What about you,
2: Jefferson? What would you bring back? What metaverse do you want to enter? To bring back, I'm not quite sure. I do have a game that I want to become a metaverse. Which one? Um, absolutely, Grand Theft Auto. There are some mm-hmm. rumors that they are the the next GTA will become a game as a service. It will be like the last GTA, oh, nice. and yeah, it, they will be keep just updating the game and making improvements and stuff. Rumors, so you never know. But it will be cool to for sure. Yeah, create your character and do everything you want there and stuff. For sure, for sure. For me, it's a
4: platform called Coke Music. Have either of you heard of this? No. So it is a clone of Habba Hotel that was made by Coca-Cola, basically to promote their products. But to be honest, like... Jefferson and Amy, like this, it was much better than Habba Hotel. I I don't know why. I think it's because the furniture was was cheaper. So you didn't have to spend endless amounts of money. But it was like the smartest marketing ploy because they had thousands of people.
6: Sorry? When was this?
4: I would say around a little bit after Habba Hotel. So maybe 2000 and... 2005 to 2010 okay. ish, she was popular, I'd say. Okay. And the main difference between Coke Music and Haba Hotel was, in order to gain like the money to buy furniture, which was all Coke branded, you had to go into these main lobbies that had a bunch of people and one DJ in the middle of the room, and you would walk up to the DJ and play a, a song that you made in the game so they had this audio creation platform and everybody in the room would either thumbs up or thumbs down your song and the more thumbs up you got the more money you would make and then the next person (laughs) would go up so it was like uh, you were running your own concert you're like a mini DJ uh, I was good I was I don't know (laughs) if my music was good but I learned how to hack the platform so I could duplicate furniture Uh, (laughs) so I cheated (laughs) a little bit All right. Thanks for joining us today, everybody, on this episode, This Week on Planet Internet, talking about the metaverses. Once again, if you're interested in metaverses, please log on to Hack Noon, submit your gaming metaverse story, and try to win some money. I was your host today, Lee Mark, joined by Amy Tom and Jefferson Borba. And this episode was edited by somebody's name I forget, so we're just going to cut out that line. (laughs) (laughs) Let me record it again. This episode was edited by Alex. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.
6: And also... Yes. Also, I would be remiss if I did not mention that you can use the power of technology to aid in Afghanistan support. So you can Google it to educate yourself more about the issues that Afghanistan people are facing, as well as donate to the relief efforts to help support those people to get out of the country. So we will put a link to a a charity of some sort in the description of this episode if you would like to donate
4: awesome thanks very much everyone we'll see you next time
6: bye-bye
2: bye
1: afternoon podcast
0: please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes.
5: Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so.